Hello, and thank you for listening to the Compassionate Conservative podcast series by the Eagle Free Press. My name is Miranda, and in each episode, I will be talking about different ways to approach social justice issues and ideas from a conservative standpoint. Today's episode is all about the government. I wouldn't say that this is a social justice issue in itself, but it is often the cause and typically considered the solution to them. Liberal and conservative views on the role of government are fundamentally different in our politics today and a core reason for the differing opinions that we have on how to address our nation's problems. This should set a good foundation to better understand the conservative approaches discussed in future episodes, as well as give me the opportunity to share how these values have kept me grounded as a conservative throughout my social justice education. I was inspired to talk about this issue because of a conversation I had on another Marquette student-run show called A Republic to Keep, which you can also find on Spotify and I encourage everyone to check it out. The discussion was about gun violence, and the conversation took an unexpected turn where I found myself defending the conservative distrust of government. Rob Miller, the current chair of the College Democrats, commented on how the government hasn't done anything for us to not trust them, to which myself and the host chokingly responded with, not yet. In that context, we were probably all thinking about some tyrannical government disappearing their political opponents and controlling the rest of the population. While something like that hasn't happened yet, the more I thought about it, I realized the government is always doing things that justify some distrust, and I've actually learned more about that through my social justice experiences than anywhere else. So it is a common gotcha statement for SJWs to say, get educated on the history in one way or another. It is a frustrating statement to say the least, as it tries to discredit conservative opinions as ignorant or uneducated, which they usually are not, but I digress. I bring it up, however, because I have to give them credit for practicing what they preach. I would say that about half of all social justice discussions are focused on learning history. Everything about our world today is a result of everything that has come before us, which includes all of our present day problems. Obviously, history has a lot of horrific events in it. There is no denying the historic oppression of peoples in our country and throughout the whole world, which is why we learn it, so that we don't repeat it. I honestly love these kinds of conversations in my classes or seminars because I always learn something new and have more appreciation for the people that paved the way for us to be where we are today. What I find interesting about it, however, is the way these conversations seem to be approached by the people who lead them. I get the impression that by learning some new tidbits about history, my mind will be opened up to a whole new world of understanding and my outlook on life will be completely different, as if I had no previous idea that the world was unfair and so many people have been oppressed. For example, I took a whole class on Native American history where, besides the Trail of Tears, almost all of it was brand new information, yet I'm still a conservative, just with new and better informed arguments. This is not because I don't understand how awful Native Americans are treated, and no, I don't think they should just move on or that the past shouldn't affect them now. So why, then, do I feel like conversations like this actually affirm my beliefs while liberals also feel like it affirms theirs? Because liberals and conservatives see the world through different lenses and understand it differently, which leads us to different conclusions despite all learning the same thing. In that Native American history class, Both the liberal and conservative would think that what has happened to them and continues to happen to them is horrific, that there are still many problems in those communities that need to be addressed, and there are ridiculous rules and regulations in place that are incredibly unfair to them. Both might even acknowledge that the government caused most of the problems. So if both people are thinking these things, where do they differ? For me, I want the government to get the heck out of our lives and stop making everything worse. My understanding of our liberal counterparts, however, is that they see the government as the solution to the problems they created. 
In a way, it makes sense. If you cause a car crash where 100 people are injured or killed, the right thing to do is to take responsibility and apologize. You probably have to pay for medical bills, do community service, spend time in jail, etc. I can see how, in a similar way, when the government does something bad, the government should be held accountable. But here is where I find a problem with that. Who decides what the government's punishment is? The government does. Let's say the person who causes the car crash gets to decide their own fate and they feel a sense of guilt and responsibility to help the people they hurt. So they decide that they will buy each person involved in the accident a new car. But cars are expensive and a lot of people were involved in the crash. So instead of talking to each person, understanding their needs and making sure they get a car that suits them best with the latest safety features and luxuries, each victim will get the exact same used 1999 Chrysler that is going to need a ton of repair and put them in danger of future accidents. When we look at history, there are a lot of examples of the government causing accidents and trying to fix them with 1999 Chryslers, but instead of just 100 people, it's millions, and they're giving out healthcare, education, housing, food, and more. That is why conservatives are so skeptical and untrusting. The government is always trying to get more power because they supposedly want to help more people, and even if the intentions are truly good, the results are what matter, and people are usually left no better off than they were before, if not worse. I think now is a good time to clarify a few things about this general untrust for the government. First, this is usually the federal government we are talking about. Federal government, while it does have an important role, cannot possibly do what is best for everyone in our country in every situation. What works in California probably won't work in South Dakota, or even Milwaukee and Waukesha for that matter. That is why we advocate for decisions to go to states and other local governments who can do what is best for their citizens and where, most importantly, citizens have much more voice to get what they want and need. Second, obviously there are things that we need the federal government to do and not all of it is bad. There are plenty of things at all levels of government that are necessary but there are also a lot of things that make it inefficient or infringe on our rights to no extra benefit for us, and that is what we want to minimize. This is something we will hopefully come back to more in future episodes. Lastly, and most importantly, just because we don't want the federal government to solve all of our problems doesn't mean that we deny that the problems exist or that we don't care enough to fix them. Conservatives often get a bad rap for being selfish because we want to do our own thing, spend our money how we want to, and be left alone by everyone else. That assumption completely ignores the responsibility that comes with our individual freedom. We are responsible for caring for our communities, which means being involved in our schools and local governments, doing community service in whatever ways we are able to, whether that be with money or our time and talents. There is an emphasis on the self-sacrifice of the individual to do what is best, not just for themselves, but for the community at large. Our founding fathers intended for us to vote not just in our own interests, but for what is best for the country, which requires being educated, involved, and selfless. I think even conservatives forget this sometimes, yet it is truly the reason we fight for the freedom we have. It is the freedom to do what is necessary for others. We want this responsibility because some federal entity does not know your people like you do. They will not care like you do, and they will not put in the same effort that you do. The government proves this to us time and time again as they create problems and try to solve them in ways that just create more problems, all while taking away our independence and ability to solve the problems ourselves in a way that actually works. The social justice conversations I have personally show me how important it is to live in government involvement in our lives and keep the power we have as individuals to make the world a better place. 
So I just gave a lot of groundwork and I think it is best to tie it all together with an example. I mentioned already that I took a Native American history class, which to this day is probably one of my favorite classes I have ever taken, and I will do my best to do it justice as I share a few things that stood out to me. We went through a pretty in-depth history of early colonial America with all the treaties and wars. While I learned a lot about that time period, most of us learned that to some extent in school, so I won't go into it for the sake of time. For me, that class really got interesting during the 19th and 20th centuries because that entire part of history, as far as Native Americans go, is pretty much left out of our K-12 education. I learned about Indian boarding schools for the first time, where children were required to be sent away from their families and integrated into society by means of erasing their own culture. They cut their hair, got English names, converted to Christianity, and learned basic English, writing, and arithmetic, as well as skills like cooking and cleaning for women or farming and blacksmithing for men. Over time, their quote-unquote education became more skewed towards those industrial skills instead of academic, and stories of students being abused, both physically and sexually, are all too common by survivors. By the time children were sent back home, they endured years of abuse, could not compete with white people for jobs, and had lost their culture. How do you heal from that? It was not until 1978, 1978, that the courts ruled parents were able to pull their children out of those schools, and the last schools did not close until the 1990s. 125 years and 180,000 Native children later, and Native American communities are ruined. Of course, much more happened throughout our recent history that contributed to this, and there's no way I can cover it all. However, one is the Dawes Act of 1887, which broke up the tribal lands for individual ownership for farming. While private individual ownership of land is typically something we support as conservatives, that was not the way of Native tribes and it greatly destabilized their communities. In 1934, the government passed the Indian Reorganization Act that attempted to rectify these wrongs by allocating federal funds to support Native communities. It created jobs, healthcare, schools, gave them the ability to buy back some previously sold off lands, and even attempted some cultural restoration. It was a turning point that seemed to be for the better, at least socially if nothing else, but it is scrutinized for creating government dependency on programs that obviously didn't fix some of the biggest problems. To this day, Native communities have the highest rates of poverty, alcoholism, physical and sexual abuse, and suicide. This came to a head in the 1960s and 70s with the Red Power Movement. Unfortunately, this movement is overshadowed in history by the Civil Rights Movement, and it really should be better remembered. They made some really bold moves, one of them being the occupation of Alcatraz. They decided that they would take that island for themselves since the federal government wasn't using it at the time, and made some pretty striking yet mostly true statements about how living on a prison island would be no different than living on a reservation. The proclamation to the government listed similarities such as no running water, no educational facilities, bad land, being a prisoner dependent on others, and more. Talk about a huge FU to the government, and it is a must-read. With that was also a letter to all Indian tribes of U.S., Canada, and Mexico to join them in the occupation and to raise funds to implement new ways of preserving their culture. Although the occupation was not successful, they were advocating for the empowerment of their own people by taking the responsibility themselves to improve their situation. What is more conservative than that? But I could not have been more excited when we read an essay in the class called We Are Not Free by Clyde Warrior. Clyde Warrior is one of the founders of the National Indian Youth Council, one of the main organizations leading the Red Power movement. 
In his essay, he talks to his people about how they do not make their own choices because every decision is made for them by federal administrators, which has led them to the deep poverty and other issues in their community. I couldn't believe the professor included it in our curriculum because of how anti-government it sounds. A similar message was given by activist Russell Means, who co-founded the American Indian Movement, the forefront organization of the Red Power Movement, when he testified in Congress in 1989. I actually came across the video of his testimony doing my own research, and it is pretty evident to me why it wouldn't be included in class. He spends almost 20 minutes completely trashing the failures of the government programs that were meant to help Native communities, and he is famously quoted for saying, quote, if you want to see an example of failed socialism, go to an Indian reservation, unquote. The conservative message of small government and individual empowerment might as well slap you in the face, yet both Russell Means and Clyde Warrior were the leaders of progressive organizations. I think this goes to show that recognizing the failures of government and wanting less of it can at least be understood by all people across the political spectrum and does not have to divide us politically or be looked down upon as a selfish idea. I will close with a powerful quote from Clyde Warrior's essay. For the sake of our children, for the sake of the spiritual and material well-being of our total community, we must be able to demonstrate competence to ourselves. For the sake of our psychic stability, as well as our physical well-being, we must be free men and exercise free choices. We must make decisions about our own destinies. We must be able to learn and profit from our own mistakes. Only then can we become competent and prosperous communities. We must be free in the most literal sense of the word, not sold or coerced into accepting programs for our own good, not of our own making or choice. You can find this podcast on our website, theeaglefreepress.com, with links to all of the sources I used and a few extra ones that I couldn't fit into this episode. I encourage you to read and watch them all if you get the chance because they give better background and explanations that I could in our time today. We are in the business of starting real conversations, so contact us through our website by sending an email or commenting on our post with any questions or comments. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with your friends and family, save it for future reference, and follow us on Spotify. Also, please subscribe to the Eagle Free Press and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date with our latest content. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time as I dive into the issue of race.